Welcome to Crowdfunding Uncut. This is the place where incredible project creators show you how they launch their products online using the world's largest crowdfunding engines, such as Indiegogo and Kickstarter. Hey everyone, this is episode 47. Welcome to another episode of Crowdfunding Uncut. I'm your host, Kirsten Ross, and today I have one of my favorite human beings on the interview today. Rachel Peterson and I met through an online community called Screw the 9 to 5, and yes, it's as awesome as it sounds. Um, Jill Stanton and Josh were able to grow this Facebook group with just over 12 months to 15,000 members. It is insane. And Rachel and I were teamed up in this forum to be accountability buddies, and over the months, we started working together on pretty much every project. And she's worked with me on a few crowdfunding projects now and with a client in the UK. And uh, not only is she one of the best people I've uh, I've come across who knows social media, but she knows how to connect with an audience virtually better than anyone I have ever seen. And just recently, she is a contributing writer for the Huffington Post, but she didn't just get this overnight. Um, but in February three months ago now, she created a post to intentionally go viral. And, you know, if you speak to any social media guru, they say that this is impossible because posts do not just intentionally become viral. They just get picked up randomly. And there's no way to know how a post is going to go when you boost it or or put it out there. But Rachel intentionally created a post touching on specific psychological triggers And this post, which I'll let her get into, got her on the Huffington Post, the Today Show, Glamour Magazine, Cosmo, Daily Mail. And today she's going to be telling us exactly how she created a post to go viral. But not only that, but how to really connect with an audience and relate to people through social media and using such things, such as psychological triggers. And this is relevant to crowdfunding because... If you can create something and frame it in a way on social media to be relevant to an audience and create shareable content, this is going to help you get more eyeballs on your campaign, which means you're going to raise more money. So Rachel, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. I am so excited to be here. You make me sound so much more cool than I really am. (laughs) Uh, Because I love you. (laughs) And well, anyway, that's my, my job is to make you look good. And look, I don't, I don't want to get into your story, but can you give us a bit of background uh, for how you got into social media and then tell us about the post? Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that is interesting about my journey is that I have no formal education in marketing. And in fact, I was working as a hairstylist at a top salon in Minneapolis, Minnesota, And one of the things that I was doing really well was actually using social media to build up my clientele. I was creating interest with images. I was creating conversation with questions and with tips. Really, ultimately, I didn't realize it at that time, but I was creating an entire content marketing plan that was bringing customers in. So one day, I had a client who sat in my chair and we started talking about social media and the power of it. And she said, you know, my husband owns this little chicken chain. And it turns out it wasn't a little chicken chain. It was a multi-million dollar franchise franchise opportunity, the franchisor, not just a franchise location. So I went to their house. All I knew was how to run a little bit of social media and 
it's kind of been a crazy process since there. I've been jumping into marketing full time. I've come on with them. They're my major clients still. And I began to just really, really pursue marketing as a career and now as an entrepreneur working for myself. Because you were able to give up your nine to five, um, what, two months ago now? Yep. It was about two months ago. And the funny part is I feel like I was kind of an accidental nine to five quitter. You know, it was something I didn't think I was going to do at first. And I remember Kirsten in our early conversations, I was like, I don't hate my nine to five. I actually like it. It's a great place. And then as I started to see the demand in terms of social media, what people needed, how many potential clients I could work with, it kind of just happened. It took over and I had to quit my nine to five in order to keep up with the demand. Yeah, because within, what, just a couple of months, you fully replaced your income that you were making at your nine to five with your freelancing. Exactly. With clients that are on a monthly retainer. So I'm not nickeling and diming every single invoice. They're clients that are on a retainer. They know what they can expect. I know what I can expect. And it's just, it's been an amazing system. That's awesome. And while I'd love to get into how you replaced your full-time income, this is specifically an interview for creating relatable content. And so it's shareable and you just have this amazing story with your post and how that went viral. Can you just go into what that was like the story behind it and everything? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I have is I lead a community of mostly small business owners who want to learn about social media. It's called become a social media marketer.com. Let me rephrase that. It is called Become a Social Media Marketer. And one day, one of my group members actually had a post go like a small scale viral. And so I took a look at what it was that made it go viral. And that night, I kind of became obsessed. I wanted to go viral so badly. So I took a look at all of the different posts and all of the different trending topics. And I tried to see what it was that they had in common. Many of them were about celebrities and current events, but there were quite a few topics that were not technically supposed to be trending, but for some reason they had picked up traction. So that night was the night I looked at my husband and I said, I'm going to create a viral post and it is going to happen. He kind of looked at me and I think part of him believed me because he knows who I am, but part of him was like, you can't just create that. You don't just wake up and have a post go viral. So one of the things I identified with social media, with content, with shareable content, and ultimately with viral posts in general, is they all have one major thing in common. And that is that they speak to an emotional pain point. Okay. And what is the emotional pain point that you use in your posts? Like, I'm sure the audience is by now, like wanting to know, what is the story? What went viral? So yes, I can tell a little what is your story. Yeah. <laughs> so my post was all about my wedding ring and how it's, it's a modest wedding ring. I know some photos make it look really big, but it's not, it's just a small, sweet, you know, token of our marriage and our love, which is also a really cool story. But I know that there are so many women who have smaller rings and they don't want to upgrade or they feel the pressure to upgrade. And that's an actual pain point. People are arguing, do I need a big diamond? Guys are feeling the pressure of purchasing a big diamond. So I wrote the post and the very first line catches the attention of anyone 
whether they've purchased a ring in the past, whether they have a small ring, maybe they didn't want a big ring and they got a big ring. But the first line is, yes, I know that my wedding ring is small. And boom, with that hook, they're in. They want to learn more. They have to read the rest of the post. Why is the first line so important on that, that post? Yeah, that first line is the opportunity to really suck your audience in. If it's something like, hey, hey, can't wait to, you know, you've already lost them because it doesn't stand out in their newsfeed. But that first step, that first sentence needs to be a bold statement that clearly states what it's going to be about. And how, okay, so how do you find emotional pain points? Well, one of the things that you'll want to do when you're creating content is to step back and think about your target market. Now, for this post, it wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily geared towards the target market that I do social media for. This was more about testing a theory, and that was that virality can be crafted. So I created a target market all based around my ring because it was an emotional pain point for me as a woman who got married um, quickly. I didn't have we didn't have the funds to purchase a big ring. And so I created the target market and then created the post around them. So my target market for this post was ultimately women who believe in true love. That sounds so stinking cheesy, like I almost can't even handle it. But those women are the ones who are saying, I don't care what my ring looks like. I don't care what my wedding looks like. All I care about is true love. Now, the other isn't wrong. This, that was just the target market I wanted to reach with that emotional pain point being touched on in my post. Okay. So I like how you've gone, because I, I feel like whenever people write a blog, they just write uh, for them and they don't think about their target market. It's just more, okay, how can I best convey this information about my product, my cause, my whatever? Yeah, it's something that's super important. If you're writing for yourself, or you're writing to fill something that you feel like meets a quota or what you should be writing about, it doesn't have the same that same pull as writing passionately, thinking about the person that you are writing it to. So for me, it was, you know, the 30, 31 year old woman who got married at, you know, 21. They didn't have the the time or the money to buy a big ring. And so I created the entire post with her in mind. And then it ultimately does have a really cool narrative. We've got a great story, my husband and I. It's a topic for another day, but we eloped and we met and eloped in 13 days. So I knew that if they read that first line, they were drawn in, they would read the rest of the story because it's really cool. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's the whole thing. It's not just about saying, I hate everyone who says that we need to have large wedding rings to show how much our husbands love us. Like it's not about that. Right. Like you did it so tastefully. And the thing is when you read the post, you read it as if you're really just explaining your situation. You're not taking a defensive position. Correct. And it is important to note that there were still people who attacked it. There were still people who felt attacked by it but you're always going to find people who (laughs) take offense and it's the internet, you know, 50% of people are going to love it. 50% of people are going to hate it. If more love it, wonderful. But it was, it was very, it was almost written as though I was sitting down with my daughter or my friend or my cousin and just telling her the story about our love and why she shouldn't feel the pressure to find someone who can purchase a huge ring for her. Yeah. Speaking of haters, I think my 
favorite comment from that post was, you're such a gold digger. (laughs) Did you even read that post? I read that one and I could not, I was laughing so hard. I was crying. Somebody put, she's such a gold digger. And then the cool part is with this post, other people felt really bonded they almost felt like they bonded with me by reading it and they wanted to defend me. So one person said, uh, a gold digger who marries a window washer. So that was another cool lesson I learned with this. If your product, if your post, if everything that you do is aligned with your beliefs is aligned with, um, kind of the core values that you stand behind and it has a great way of being presented, you don't have to stand up for yourself because it speaks for itself. Yeah. Now, going back to the beginning of this post, um, I saw the date on that. It was back in February. Did you just, is this a status update that you had or did you host this on your blog? Like, Yeah, this was just a status update on my professional page. So it wasn't a blog. It wasn't anything where there was even an agenda behind it. I just posted it on my professional page and then I started to kind of let it do its thing. Now, one thing that's kind of an interesting insight is that at first I boosted the post um, with the ads manager, sending it to those women who believed in true love. I think I did between the ages of like 18 and 40 because I figured that would get the best response. It didn't actually go viral at first. It just went mini mini viral or that's what I call it. And it reached 35,000 people. So I boosted it again for two additional dollars. So here we're at a total ad spend of $4. And then one person who shared it, shared it to the right audience. All of her friends shared it. And then the snowball effect just took off. So this was over how many weeks? This was actually over the course of almost two months. Wow. From okay. the time, Yeah, from the time I posted it to the time everything wrapped up. Now, when you originally posted it to your personal page, what was your audience size? My audience size, I had maybe 400 likes on my Facebook page and 35,000 people saw it. And to me, that was a success. I felt like, holy smokes, you know, I almost 10x my audience. That's amazing. And I had no idea what was about to come next. Yeah, that is just quite the reach. Now, Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, your success with a personal post is a testament to some of the work that you do with other clients. And um, I brought you in to work with me on the Pavlok Shot Clock Indiegogo campaign and um, actually a few other projects now. But with what I'd love to know, and this is a specifically crowdfunding audience and where social media can be used to create brand awareness, um, lead generation whatever your end game is with crowdfunding, it's a little different when you bring in a social media person to uh, a launch, generally there you're building up to some really exciting event. And I love to talk about what the number one thing that is important when you're building up for a launch or a product release on social. Yeah. The number one most important thing that I've found to be true because Pavlok has been a wildly successful campaign, um, not just due to my part, it's due to the entire team and the work that everyone has put in. But ultimately, we want to talk to that person who struggles with waking up in the morning, because the shot clock, the Pavlok shot clock is a 
It's a wearable tech that wakes you up. It helps you to wake up, not snooze through your alarm. But the way that we need to phrase any type of product that you're launching on crowdfunding is that you're hitting on an emotional pain point. So for that target market, they're frustrated. They want to wake up like the rest of the successful entrepreneurs that they see. They feel like, what the heck, everyone else is waking up and getting everything done. And it's something that I struggle with. It doesn't happen naturally. So everything building up has to have so much excitement. It needs to feel like the ultimate solution to their their struggle. And so that's kind of the narrative that I built in with the Pavlock social media campaigns. And when you're speaking to the audience beforehand, like the thing with a lot of crowdfunding campaigns is they have not released this to the world. So a lot of project creators are scared about giving too much information about what their product does before we launch. Um, How much information would you give about a product before it's even on the market? You know, I actually don't feel like it's an issue giving away the information because it's great to say that you have a a big secret, but unless you already have a following like Apple, people aren't waiting at the edge of their seat saying, oh my gosh, this company I haven't heard of has a surprise that they're about to unveil. I'm so excited about it. I mean, we all wish that that was the case, but ultimately they're not sitting back waiting for our announcement. So you have to build the excitement with knowledge, with the benefits, with um, the really what how it's going to improve their life. So I actually recommend giving away almost all of the knowledge. But then ultimately, once they're already excited, they're hooked. You know that they're they're backing the campaign. Then you can create additional secret perks that bring them into the next level of interest. Right. Okay. So uh, there are two angles I can take the rest of the interview. Um, I'm going to start with the. Different platforms, I find that focus is the best thing when you're launching a crowdfunding campaign and to only pick two or three social media platforms to really focus on building your audience. And the most engaged ones I found are Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for it. Um, And if you are, if you don't have that much time, I'd focus on the Facebook and Instagram if you have visual, um, like, I don't know, pretty product or, or something, because that will build the interest. But one thing that I know some people would struggle with is knowing the differences in the kind of posts that you would use on each of those platforms and what, um, can we, can you give me an overview of what kinds of posts do really well on Facebook versus Twitter versus Instagram? Yeah, definitely. So that is actually one of my favorite topics and that is the different content types. So on Facebook, you can actually have kind of a wide variety of content types. So it can be everything from a line or two of text, which doesn't do as well on Facebook, but you can post it. Images do really well on Facebook because people see them. They're likely to share them. Videos, especially if it hits on an emotional pain point, it's educational or it's comedic or entertaining. Those those videos do really well. But then you can also share other knowledge. So you can share blog posts, on there, you can create almost like a mini blog post within your Facebook page, and that just delivers tons of value without having any call to action. It's just a free deliver. So that's what I recommend for Facebook, generally speaking, is images, videos, blogs, and like mini blog long form posts. On Twitter, the posts that do the best, the tweets that I see getting the most traction are clever one-line 
value deliver delivery mechanisms. <laughs> so what that means is something that speaks to the problem, but in kind of a wise way where it doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't feel salesy. So for example, for Pavlock, it might be something like the early bird gets the worm. Why are you not an early bird yet? That's going to get the best traction on Twitter. And, and on do you, and sorry, on, do you oh, link do you link to something at the end of that early bird gets worm tweet? Sometimes, but I like to create quite a few posts that don't necessarily link to anything. Now, one thing too that is important to note is if you're doing like a long-term crowdfunding campaign, then that's when you're really going to want to space things out with content versus linking to the actual product every single time. But if it's a short window that you have, it's okay to post a lot of links because you need to get people to convert. You don't have time to continue to build on it without selling people on your product and getting them to your page. So why wouldn't you... Uh, why would you opt to use less links versus links every single post? That's a great question. I see it so often on professional pages, on companies' pages, where they're constantly linking to their products. And ultimately, that creates this, this attitude or this representation of me, me, me. It's all about my product. This is what I love. This is what I want to you know sell. It, it's not focused on the target market and delivering value, interest, education, entertainment to the target market. So while those are okay, especially if you're running a shorter crowdfunding campaign, you're going to want to space them out with variety, deliver value, create interest with images. Okay. So it's teasing as opposed to spamming. Absolutely. Yep. Got you got it. Gotcha. Okay. And in your, like, what is your favorite platform to use? Ooh, that's a good question. It used to be Instagram, but right now I'm kind of going through a shift where I am falling in love with Pinterest again. And the reason I love Pinterest is because it's totally free to use. I mean, most platforms are free, but you don't have to promote pins on Pinterest in order to see a great effect for your business. So with Pinterest, what I love about it is you can go through your website and pin the actual photos from your website, linking back to your website. And by building a following and being consistent on Pinterest, you can see so much traffic generated, especially if you have links to freebies or great images. Um, so right now I'm having a love affair with Pinterest. <laughs> yeah. I remember on our call with uh, Julian of creative nature, you're just saying, I love Pinterest again. We're getting so many notifications. Yep. Side note, but. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. And would you say like for brands looking at Pinterest, is that more of a long-term social solution as opposed to a launch? Absolutely. Okay. So with Pinterest, if you're wanting to launch a product that you feel will do well, especially with women, because Pinterest is predominantly a woman-based platform, but if you're wanting to launch something that makes their life easier, makes their life better, um, I would start building your Pinterest following now by creating just a ton of different boards that your target market is going to want to follow. I recommend starting on that before you begin your campaign. But if you haven't, or if you've already started your campaign and you don't have a strong Pinterest following, you're not going to see those big results of using Pinterest on a short term basis. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. How, okay. You probably get this question a lot, but 
how many times a day realistically should you post on each platform? That's a great question. So I definitely recommend posting more than most people do. Uh, but that being said, most people post on each platform like once once a week if it's not their personal platform. I see so many business pages that only post one piece of content per week. But that ultimately makes it look like you're not hands-on, like you're not responding to customers, like you're not alive and excited about your brand. So I recommend a minimum of posting one time per platform. Uh, you can do Monday through Friday, so five times a week, or you can pick different days throughout the week. Now, if you had all the time in the world, and let's say you're building your brand, you're passionate about it, you have extra time in your day, then I recommend going up to two to three times a day per platform um, for your brand. Okay. And gee, I mean, there are a few social media automation tools out there, a few being Hootsuite, Meet Edgar, or Buffer. Would you suggest scheduling all of your posts and just taking an hour or two just to schedule everything for the month? Or are you more a fan of posting as you go? I am such a fan of not using automation tools. And that makes me a little bit different than other social media managers. A lot of people like to pre-create their entire month's plan of content. I'm not comfortable with that. One of the reasons being you never know what's going to do well until you put it out there. So for example, if I would have created my whole month's worth of content for my professional page before my post went viral, it wouldn't have been on topic. It would have felt kind of spammy. Like what if I would have posted a topic the next day about getting a big audience? Then it looks like everything's completely contrived. So you're going to want to use real-time data. How is the audience responding? What big events are going on in your industry? What changes have you had in your products or in your team? So I, well, I understand the time and the place to use automation. I don't love it. And for someone who really wants to use certain kinds of automation, are there some posts that are better to be left, you post as you go versus be automated? I guess what I'm trying to say is <laughs> if you had to automate a post, what is the safest one to automate? Yes. So I would automate um, old blog posts. That's something that I think would do well just because it creates kind of like a, a reference back to your old work and it kind of recycles it a little bit. It's pretty safe. You already know how it how the audience responds to it. And then the other thing that I would say is fairly safe is content curation. So if you have a website that you follow and trust, to go ahead and schedule posts with their information, their posts um, ahead of time, but then going in and also injecting your campaign with the real-time posts that have to do with your business and with the daily happenings. If I wanted to curate content, how do I find, like, is there a tool that I can use to um, find that information? Yes. So I, there are two ways that I love to find the best content for curation. One is that I use BuzzSumo. Now they're, they're expensive monthly. I think it's like $90 per month, but I just use the free version and I look up the trending topics or what posts are doing best on each platform. So that's BuzzSumo. Uh, there, it's a great way to go ahead and see which content is doing well and is the most likely to do well. Another thing that I like to do is 
this is so underutilized, but it's the advanced search at the top of Facebook. When you go to the advanced search, you can look for specific terms. So let's say I wanted to share with my audience um, a top trending topic about content marketing. You just type it in there. The results are automatically based on the top results within Facebook. And then you can share the content that you find there. But it's going to show really the trending topics on Facebook as it relates to that search term. It's so obvious, but I didn't even know you could ah, do that. I'm so glad you learned something new. Man, yeah, because I just use the Facebook search for finding Facebook groups. Interesting. No, the Facebook search, I feel like that could be a podcast in and of itself. It's a great way to find clients, customers, trending topics, um, and then just socially listen to your customers as well. Well, hey, that might be interview 2.0. All right. <laughs> uh, so my, my last question before we wrap this, actually second from last question, is there are different uh, social campaigns you can use when you're building up for a release of something. Uh, an example of this could be a giveaway contest or referral contest or retweet contest, um, anything like that. I'm wondering... In your experience, um, do social contests work? And if so, what is the best kind of competition you've seen work really well? You know, it's kind of funny because with contests, I've seen them hit and I've seen them miss. So I know that they can do well. One of the most important things you're going to want to make sure if you're going to run a social contest is that the people that you're running it with, kind of like your, your referral network or who it is that's sharing it, that they're reputable, that they don't have a spammy reputation. Um, so that's really important. You're going to want to make sure that there's an amazing incentive. People have a reason to share it, retweet, to enter. Um, so there has to be a really compelling reason for them to want to participate. And not compelling like, guess what? If you do this, you'll get $10 off. Well, that's great, but it doesn't ultimately affect their lives. But if they can get something free or they can get some type of really cool honor or award, that's going to actually impact them. Um, so making sure that your rewards for the contest actually matter to your target market. Um, and then one of the things that I actually find great success with is what's called influencer outreach. And a lot of people like to kind of take on this really big mass approach for social media. But when I create a social media strategy, you have one person in mind that you want to notice and to mention and to retweet. So for example, with like Julianne at Creative Nature, she really wanted to get this award called <clears throat> award called the SBS with one of the founding one of the founders of Dragon's Den. And when I wrote the tweet that he ultimately picked up, retweeted, and gave them the award for, I literally had him in mind. So when you're reaching out to influencers, creating content with just that one person in mind, maybe you can ask them to share, but sometimes they'll just pick it up because it speaks to them because it was written for them. So when you're picking an influencer for a crowdfunding campaign, or not even just crowdfunding, but... Um... For example, what if you have a wearable weight loss technology and it right. was inspired by Tim Ferriss's four-hour body? Would your influencer be Tim Ferriss? It could definitely be Tim Ferriss. I see no reason why. Now, keep in mind, he's an incredibly busy man. Uh, but when you reach out to him and you create something that is so personalized, 
maybe add some humor into it because he gets so many professional, boring uh, emails every single day. I guarantee it. But creating a, an email or an outreach that literally mentions him, it, um, it tells him exactly how he inspired it, how excited you are, what it's going to deliver. That's exactly what I would do. I don't see any reason why you can't reach the top influencers if you write it perfectly personably for them. So would you say that when you've picked your influencer, it has to be really relevant in the same industry as what you're doing? It has to be really relevant in the same industry or they have to have a platform among your target market. That's awesome. And I've just realized that uh, I want to do a podcast episode around influencer marketing. So stay tuned for that one. Um, well, Rachel, this has been awesome. Um, do you have any famous last words before we wrap this up? Famous last words. Let's watch for the viral post 2.0 because it will happen again. Mark my words. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to share that obviously. Um, so this is great. So if people want to learn more about what you're working on or get some insider information of social media, where can they go? The best place to get a hold of me um, is actually in my free Facebook community. You can find that at www.becomeasocialmediamarketer.com. And that's just a place where it's a free community. It's not spammy. It's totally safe to come in and ask all of your questions. Not only am I there on a daily basis, but the entire community is so knowledgeable and they're excited and eager to help each other. So that's a great place to come and get all of your questions answered. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link that into the show notes. So this has been great. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yes. Thanks for having me. We'll have to have 2.0 very soon. Yeah, we will. <laughs> thanks, right. Kirsten. You're welcome. All right. Thanks guys for listening to another episode. Um, remember you can head over to our free private Facebook community, crowdfunding domination by going to either crowdfundinguncut.com and pressing Facebook group, or just going to Facebook and searching that. And uh, also the crowdfundinguncut.com website, you can subscribe for freebies and get insider tips for your crowdfunding campaign. And uh, thanks a lot. This has been a lot of fun. Take care. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.